the best moment of a producer's life uh -huh. is the day they get the call that they got a film order. And everything else from there is a series of <laughs> it's solving just one problem problems. After and, yeah, <laughs> it's just all day long, every day, until after it either airs or is in the theaters. Friction is a huge psychological burden. Without friction, we would not have fire and we would not have sparks. I gotta get a knife. <laughs> I gotta hide it. They end up spending a lot of time ruminating. Hi, I'm Bob Sutton. I'm an organizational psychologist and Stanford professor, and this is the Friction Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by executive producer Sherry Singer. Sherry has produced 37 made-for-TV movies, including the Disney Channel hit Halloween Town. Sherry is also my cousin and one of two people in the world who still call me Bobby. We invited Sherry to the podcast because she is a master diffuser of inefficiencies and obstacles. Sherry has an uncanny ability to sense when projects are about to go off the rails. And she has a practice talent for finding the right maneuver or application of grease to keep projects on budget and on time. So, so we were talking about this a little bit before we started. Uh, one way for, since a lot of, as I say, a lot of our listeners are interested in startups, essentially you are I'm constructing and guiding a, a temporary organization to make the film, right? Yeah, so I guess I've done about 37 of those. So you sort of, it's, it's like it's like building a summer camp or something and then taking it down or something. That's exactly what it's like. It's like the circus, uh -huh. you know, and, and actually the, the funny expression is there's a place, um, some people call it base camp, but when you're making a movie, uh -huh. any size movie, there's a place where everybody's trailers are parked. You guys have probably driven by and seen uh -huh. this. And um, where some of the big trucks are and where the catering service is. In Canada, they call that the circus. <laughs> So, and it's very, so it's, it's actually, and I shoot a lot in uh, Canada, so it's actually very appropriate. But, you know, now it's like, you know, my husband likes to say the best moment of a producer's life uh -huh. is the day they get the call that they got a film order. And everything else from there is a series <laughs> of solving problem problems. After and, yeah, <laughs> it's just all day long, every day until after it either airs or is in the theaters. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, you know, putting together the circus, the most germane thing to mm -hmm. what you seem to talk about on, on your podcast uh -huh. is that you are putting together, like some of the people know each other and they've done other shows together and that's common because someone will recommend someone else because you're looking for an audio person right. or you're looking for something. But sometimes the bulk of the people have never worked together okay, before. Okay, so you bring together a bunch of strangers yeah, who... Yeah, and there's no margin of error in uh -huh. television. Like when you have, uh, if you say, okay, I'm going to shoot this movie in 20 days, you better shoot it in 20 days because what's going to happen uh -huh. is if you go over budget, you've got to figure out some way to get that money. And it's very, you know, these are done, all of them just about, except for like a really huge an uh -huh. HBO movie or something that has a much bigger budget. They're all done, you know, on, on smaller budgets and they're doable. But they're doable because people have to have to step up and bring their A game. So, okay, so you're starting to put together I like this the circus. What are the kind of red flags you see 
that something's going wrong and you've got to fix it. Because to me, that's a lot of the, some of it is you can do it sure. up front, but. I, but some uh, of it you don't know until so you you've got predict. these people. You know, I, I carry this big albatross, which is that I figure out immediately mm -hmm. when somebody, I, I, there are warning signs like, I'll give you a perfect example, mm -hmm. a, a movie that I did last year. Uh, the guy, we had a lot of stunts in the mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. And the stunt coordinator was at the, the big production meeting the week before we shot, and he fell asleep. <laughs> and um, I desperately wanted to fire uh -huh. him immediately, but I had a Canadian partner uh -huh. who just wouldn't do it. Uh -huh. And, you know, they're, they're the ones holding the copyright in that case, so uh -huh. I, I had no choice. And he did finally get fired, but he got fired when it was so close to when the big stunts uh -huh. were coming that we had a major scramble job. And so my albatross is, I get it. I don't know why. I just get it right away when uh -huh. I see that I have a problem. I'm observant. I watch what people say in meetings. I listen to if a ball drops. Uh -huh. And I'm not very forgiving because I've got one shot. Uh-huh. And, you know, a lot of people, and it's not fun. Who wants to fire people? Right. You know, it's, it, I, I, I'm really, you know, a really a nice person. But, but I also get it that I, it's not like a series where you may be making right. 10 or 12 episodes. And if one episode isn't great, hopefully the next one is, and you can make the changes then. You got one shot. That's kind of funny because so. we, we, uh, we had Patty McCord, who was head of HR at Netflix for the first 14 years. And uh, although actually they had much less time pressure than you do, uh, that was what her philosophy was, was uh, you're doing great until the moment I fire you, no advance warning, boom, you're gone. So, Well, uh, you, don't, you, you would ideally give someone advance right, warning, right. but if you're doing a movie that has three or four weeks of preparation, uh -huh. it's called prep, and then another three or four weeks of shoot, uh -huh. you can't wait very long. So, and so, they have to leave. So, so that's sort of the talent part. Uh, what are some of the other things that you look for either to stop trouble from happening in advance or when things go wrong? What are some of the other well, classic problems? Well, I mean, this may problems? surprise you. One of the other classic problems is your talent goes into hair and makeup every morning. And if they don't come out in time, your day starts out and you're late already, Right. You know, the person is uh -huh. is sitting in there for too long and you're 45 or 50 minutes late and you haven't started. So that's, if you want to talk about going through like a shoot day, that's uh -huh. the first thing that can go wrong. The second thing, and this is much harder uh -huh. to deal with, is you have a director, let's say, who doesn't get the scene fast enough, who uh -huh. is who is, you know, polishing a lemon. I mean, it's like you, at a certain point, you've so got enough to just keep, <laughs> going, you know, and they, and you can't get them. And so I recently had a situation with a director that was, that was basically two hours behind all the time. Uh -huh. And then what happens at the end of the, and the only thing you can do is either fire them in the middle of production. Mm -hmm. That's the one you can replace a lot of crew members, but, but the director tough. is tough. And, um, and you have to have a real reason to not breach their contract. Uh -huh. So, uh, so once that starts to happen, again, you're, I'm, you know, the executive producer's the pest. You're shooting in, in 20 days usually? Yeah, 15 to 20 days. So you've really, you've got, just got to go. 
Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. So so it is it is interesting though. One of my favorite academic articles is called Bad is Stronger Than Good. And I, once yeah. we wrote an article called From Bad to Great, and our, our argument was uh, people who want excellence uh, don't focus on the positive as much as just getting rid of the negative. And the degree to which I'm hearing that in your story is that you know what the movie looks like when it's going right, and it's the, the warning signs you got to kind of deal with. So one other source of friction, which I've heard you talk about a little bit, is your studio or other investor, is, is did they ever sort of like get in your way or do you have to? That can happen. I mean, the main problem once you're underway with production uh-huh. is you have to send what are called dailies or they used to be called rushes and right, they're right. what you shot that day. And if they start giving you, if they, some the worst thing they can do in a TV schedule is not watch for a few days, uh, and suddenly you get these notes about, can you reshoot this, or this, we didn't really like this, and you're, you've are you gone to another location, you can't go back to that location, okay. and you just tell them, I mean, and most of them are getting more sophisticated uh-huh. now, so you tell them, you know what, we can't do that, but we can do, we can fix it in post by putting in some uh-huh. additional lines or cutting something out, so it's an, it, it becomes a negotiation. You know, sometimes there's nothing wrong with what you're sending them uh-huh. but sometimes they feel like they mm-hmm. have to give you some oh. criticism and the thing that they you know oh you don't have enough close-ups that's the famous one uh-huh. network executives used to be trained when their movies would come in if they uh-huh. didn't know what else to do to say it's too dark and there's not enough close-ups <laughs> you know so that that would be that's when you know you're dealing with somebody who doesn't really know so, what they're doing and so you tell them that you fixed it whether yeah. you fix it or not you know, really? and, and yeah, I mean, you don't always do that. You do that with somebody that you can tell is not giving you particular. So, so, that is, so I, this reminds me of, of, of uh, I don't even know this famous story about David. So, so Michelangelo, the famous statue that in the Fizi, many of us have seen. So that was a commissioned piece of art. And he, Michelangelo shows this piece of um, marble, which uh, somebody had worked on 50 years before and he sort of picked up and finished. It took him years to finish. And the mayor of Milan comes up and tells him that it looks good, but the nose is too big. And the, the apocryphal story is he climbs up on the ladder with a hammer and he hits the nose and he has just powder in his hand and the, and the dust flies and he shows it to uh, the mayor and the mayor says it's now. fine. So are there any other sort of synchronization issues you have? Because I, I have the sense of all these different parts that, you, that you're like, you're the director, they all have to be integrated. What, what are other important points of sort of coordination I, or synchronization in I, the process? I feel like the two biggest problems in a movie are the acting isn't coming through mm-hmm. or you're not making your days, which means you're, you know, you're slopping scenes oh, you, oh. over and you're carrying a lot of scenes over. And that happens a lot. And sometimes you can put them in on the end. And if you've saved money other places, mm-hmm. you can add a day you know, and shoot the stuff that you didn't manage to shoot. And you have to pick very carefully 
okay, we're not going to make the day. What uh, should we not shoot? Okay. And is there another location we could shoot this in? Or can we fake this or just put up a wall because someone's on a phone and uh -huh. try to match where we can't come back to? Or can we shoot it on a stage? So there, you have to make those decisions sort of daily. Okay. And particularly if you have a director that may be very talented but uh, is slow. Okay. I love how much the uh, speed is sort of the th one of the themes of this. If yeah. you're not sure, go faster. Is uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's probably true in most cases, you know, because it, because usually when someone is slow, when a director uh, is slow, they feel they're not getting what they want uh, the scene to look like. Okay. Either because they don't like the way the lines are delivered, or there's something off about the lighting, or there's something that or there's something off about the writing, and they may or may not know that. Which is why it's nice to have an executive producer mm -hmm. who is is seasoned, because you can usually help them fix okay. their problems. When do you interject and, and say we've got to slow down? Well, I can we, tell you there's th it, this is very there's two parts of uh, the process. Uh, One is while you're writing the script, which is because by the way, mm. if you don't start with a good script, uh -huh. it's very unlikely that your movie's going to be any good. So, or you can make up for it like with uh, a, gr a big cast, but underneath it, you the, the, it, it it's all on the page. So that's where the struggle so, in, in the rewriting so is worth it. Yeah, and so sometimes you have to take the time okay. to not turn the script in faster just because you want to make a deadline or you want to get your film ordered fast. And I mean, I'm in the middle of one of those circumstances right now, although it hasn't started. Uh -huh. The executive that I'm uh, that I'm working for right now is going to go on maternity leave. Well, that's a real and deadline. And we're just starting to get the the, the uh, writer has just gone to first draft. So I've laid out a schedule uh -huh. because I want to get the movie ordered to greenlight before she goes <laughs> away for a few months. So, but I'm going to have to realize, you know, uh -huh. once I start seeing the script, if it's not ready, I I will not come. You know, okay. I don't do that. I don't say I don't care if it, if it's not as good as it could be. I just want to get the movie made. I don't do that. But some people do, and that's where that's one place where it's really worth it to slow down. The flip side of that is you don't want to take months, right? Right. Because you got to you have to strike while the iron is hot. If you have a project they really care about. You don't want it to sit there. Anyway, so that's one place. And I, I guess when there are problems, once you're shooting, mm -hmm. if there are problems on the set or you lose a location, sometimes this, I was shooting a teen vampire movie last year and mm -hmm. we wanted to shoot one of the big set pieces and we were going to shoot in this magnificent sort of modern winery mm -hmm. inside. And... Uh, they never completely confirmed. So uh. that was another one I kept telling the location manager, give me a backup. I'm worried, you know, with this shit. Or, uh -huh. And he didn't get me a backup. And then three days before we were supposed to do a huge vampire mm. prom scene, they're gone. They don't want us oh. to come. <laughs> So besides wanting to choke the guy, you know, I, I, you know, we then had to really take a step right. back and say, okay, can we reconceive what we had in our minds for what this was supposed to look at? And it really helps when you need to think creatively. Do you know what I, when uh -huh. you need to think out of the box and you need to solve a problem by not replacing it with the exact same piece? 
that's when you have to take the okay. time. Okay. Well, that's a straight out of Danny Kahneman's book, the Nobel Prize winner in economics. When you get in a cognitive minefield, that's where you've got to stop and think. And uh, I, I guess one of the famous well, lines is that sometimes the best uh, thing to do is uh, don't do something, just stand there. So that's, that's when those moments come out. Producers in television movies do not make any money unless the movie goes. So the writer oh. gets paid. So you're. So I've spent my whole life praying, uh-huh. you know, because the the writer gets paid, <laughs> and you know the writer makes a little more money if it gets uh-huh. made. But there are very rich, particularly feature writers uh-huh. out there that have never had a thing made. Because they still get, they, they'll get maybe a bonus or a piece of the back end if it goes, but they still get a chunk of change. Just oh, so, to write. That, so for a lot of our listeners uh, are in uh, software companies, so that's, uh, you may have a company that's never successful, but you still got to have people to write the code. It's sort of the same thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who have written a lot of code for companies that have never made a dime. It's a similar sort of thing. It's that's very, kind of cool. Yeah, it's very similar. So now you're going through a period where you're trying to satisfy. What the network or the or the end user in this mm-hmm. case, because now we're doing VOD and you know all all sorts of other end users, uh-huh. but where the end user wants to see certain things in the story, and you want to see certain things, and the writer wants to see certain things, and that's where the creative friction. If you're with the right people, okay. and sometimes you're not, sometimes you get a dictator from the end user who just says, "This is the way you're going to tell the story." So, so, so that this is actually something we've explored on some of our other podcasts. This creative friction. So, what what to you are the symptoms that it's healthy, the give and take, versus it's just destructive? It's it's painful and undermining the quality. Des- destructive is basically having somebody dictate to you. Okay. What you're going to do, even when you respectfully say, but what if we did this instead, Mm -hmm. or this feels more organic, or I think this would work better, and they just, you're in a room with somebody that, yeah. And the the one that's healthy is maybe you get a note from, Uh from an end user saying, oh, I would really like to see this happen. And then you open it up for the other, for the writer and the producer to say, well, what if we tried this? Mm-hmm. Or the writer particularly will say, well, I get what you're looking for, but can I do this instead of this? Or And you, you go through this conversation and you end up with something better. Mm-hmm. And that's always better. Obviously, the only the only risk to that is too many cooks in the soup. Right. So you want to try to keep the number of people, and you can't sometimes, down so when you have too many, you have a too many cooks problem, or you have a dictator problem. So you got to find yes. sort of like the the sweet middle of that. It sounds like exactly. So one of the interesting sort of subtexts of what we've heard so far is that uh, you as the executive producer are there from the beginning to the end, but different groups come and go. So you're the only person who's, who sees the big picture and has to uh, manage the handoffs and everything. So how, how do you make that happen? 
and also get on the same time for you know right. get, get in the urgency of what has to happen well generally if you're hiring people who have ever done the job before okay they, they know the drill in terms of the timing okay. you know they really do but in terms of having like minds and huh. being able to creatively mesh that is perhaps the biggest soft skill okay that i would say is in a for me is in a producing job because you have to pick people and you know if you don't already know them uh -huh. because you've worked with them several times before and you're hiring new people you have to spend some time with them to figure out mm -hmm. what do you think about that it's almost like casting right how, how will the chemistry be how would how would this cinematographer work with this director and you hire an assistant director, you usually let a director pick a, co a couple of their oh, key okay. positions okay. themselves so that they're all on the same page. But you also have to hope you're on the same page with the director. And you, you basically collect people uh -huh. that you cast in a way, you know, in the key positions. Well, well so, so one thing that's sort of interesting there, and I, there's, there's some research on, uh, on Hollywood and how the, the social structure works, which is that there's the temporary organizations, the circus you put together, but um, there's actually a lot of stability in the network at the next level down of, of the people who do everything else, the, I don't know, the directors, the cinematographers, and, and everybody else. Is, is, do you have sort of a standard sort of list of people that you draw from or a standard network? You tried. I mean, I've done that. Uh -huh. But I've also tried to move away from that. Like, I'll oh, get into... I'll get into, like, wanting to use the same writer. Like, uh -huh. I, I've just sold something new. Mm -hmm. And I like the writer who's writing the one I'm telling you that I want to get ready before uh, the maternity uh -huh. leave. But, you know, we talked about it and said, oh, maybe we, and she also just wrote something for this executive. Uh -huh. So now it's like, maybe we should try someone else. Okay. And I tend to like to use the same people, but I've also had experiences and not that long ago where I did two movies in a row with somebody and uh, the experience was terrific on the first one and not so great on the okay. second one. And with wanting to bring in more diversity, uh -huh. you know, you're, you end up not doing that as much, but historically there has been a stable of, of directors, of, of cinematographers. Mm -hmm. You still want people not for everything, but for most things, mm -hmm. you need people that are experienced and have the kind of credits you're looking for because that's how you know whether you're probably going to make your schedule. And, you know, you, you bringing in somebody who has never worked under certain uh -huh. constraints is a risk. That is a risk. So uh, it is interesting that you bring up that diversity point. J just last night I was uh, having a, a dinner with a local executive. I won't use her name, but she, she's an African-American woman who was on a board with uh, six white guys and they they were trying to pick a new CEO, and she was describing how just automatically each one of them had the guy. We, I know the guy. I know the guy. And it was some white guy who was in their network, and she said, I said to them, uh, not only do I think that these are not the right people, if we uh, always behave like this and pick the people who are you're the white guys, picking the white guys in your network, nothing's ever going to change. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And it is interesting because that's one of the downsides of just always drawing on this, the same network. And I've, I've not heard it expressed quite like that from somebody who was in the boardroom. And they, and they actually picked a female CEO, and that was one of the reasons. So that's sort of interesting. That's cool. Sherry, it's so great of you to come up here to Stanford and to join us for the Friction Podcast. It's been a delight to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
If you take one thing from Sherry, I hope you'll see that being paranoid isn't always a bad thing. Honing an ability to anticipate and prepare backup plans can help keep your team moving, even through the most difficult times. Please spread the word about the Friction Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues, your family, and even your therapists. On the next episode, we'll be joined by Sam Yen, who is former head of design thinking at SAP, which is a large global software firm. Sam will talk about the challenges of implementing large-scale change and reducing friction in that huge corporation. And now for the final tangent. In my first movie, actually, I, you know, I had, I'm not going to tell you who he was, but he was very, very well known at that time, one of the leads. Mm -hmm. And he was, I was pregnant. And I was like four or five months pregnant Mm -hmm. when we shot. And he kept saying things to me like, uh, and he was complaining, he was a big complainer. Uh So I would hear him out of my earshot complaining about something. So I would go up to him and say, can I fix something? What's going on? You know, can I do something to help you? And he said, I don't want to bother you in your condition. And so I think if Uh I could, and he basically treated me that way, he just pretended that Uh I wasn't the executive producer. And I think that if I could Uh obviously do that over again, I would have been a lot stronger in saying, I, I don't have a condition and I'm the the guts behind this movie and I'm the one that got the rights uh-huh. and if I'd be happy to talk to you about any problems, any issues, but the buck stops here. We can't do this without you. Tell us what's driving you crazy and what are you doing to make life better in your organization for yourself and for the people that you work with? Please send us your friction stories, tips and tricks. We'd love to hear from you via Twitter at eCorner or please send us an email at stvp-ecorner at stanford.edu. The Friction Podcast is a Stanford eCorner original series brought to you by Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Designing Organizational Change. Friction is produced by Rachel Jilkowski and Ali Rico. Jake Smith and Stife Studios are our editor and audio engineers. Susie Allen and Victoria Johnson are our writing and marketing team. Danielle Stussy is our designer and digital products manager. And I'm Bob Sutton. Thanks for joining us. This is the Friction Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>